As we think about Palm Sunday and all that occurs in this Holy Week, I, I can't help but think this was the beginning of the most important week in Jesus' life. This is what it was all going to culminate in. And as Dan said earlier, this Friday we, we celebrate a Good Friday service at the Methodist Church. It's kind of cool. It's a mixture of traditional and contemporary. There's scripture readings, and it's kind of somber. But I love that service. They've offered, they've asked us if we would host it, host it, and and I'm kind of remiss in doing that because it'll be something someone will say the first Christian church took over. But but what's nice about it is that you have the stained glass windows, and it's just a different kind of worship experience. And so I would encourage you. I always go to it because it's a great way to go into the Easter weekend and to kind of remember what Jesus did. So if you have the opportunity at noon on Friday, join us and uh, join us there. It's just really, really cool. Today I'm I'm excited, like I said, to preach to you Palm Sunday. Uh, Just got back from Israel about a week ago. Last weekend I wasn't here. I'd planned on being here. The guys did a great job. Dan and Mark did a great job preaching. I got to watch and and hear them and I was encouraged and I'm just super excited that those guys and the rest of our staff are just doing a a really, really great job. Uh, Amen. Part of our group, our bus group in Israel was from Iowa and, and there was a virus going around on our bus and so I didn't find out till Saturday that it was COVID and so I kind of quarantined myself last weekend just to make sure I didn't have it and spread it on to you all and so that was my compassionate act of grace to you all because I, I was afraid, I was afraid someone would hug me and kiss me because they missed me so much. No worries, amen. So, as I had the opportunity to go to Israel, it was going. We were going to go in 2020, and if you remember, 2020 was the beginning of COVID. So we were going to go March 2020. We had 15, and so the Emirates went last year. There were two of us, and then two from our area, Stacy Colson and Becky Royer, went with me. And so some people have asked me already today, "Will you take another group?" And the answer is yes, unequivocally yes. If there's enough to take, I'd be glad to do that because it was a great experience. Now. I just want you to know, it wasn't on my bucket list. I, had, I didn't have very high expectations. Somebody told me that it would be very commercial, and parts of it were. But, but what I didn't expect was the inspirational, devotional aspect of the event. We had a Christian, Arab Christian guide, and the other pastors that were helping to guide our tour had been there. One was, had been there nine times. He had taken groups nine times. The other uh, man from South Carolina had taken groups seven times. And the reason why I could, I thought, why would you do this over and over again? Well, the opportunity to take people to experience it that want to be there, who have invested most of their life following Christ, to, to be inspired, that's what that is all about. And so I would be glad to do that for you. I had, I'm glad I had the opportunity to scope it out and experience it because we walked four or five miles a day. We were 12 hours 
typically on a bus during the day. We'd get up at 6 a.m., leave at 7.30 a.m., and go to about 6 p.m. or 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. or even 8 or 9 p.m. on a night at the Church of the Sepulchre. And so if you ever have the opportunity, I'd say, go. Okay, that's a long spiel to say. It, it didn't change my life. But it was something that, for me as a teacher and preacher of the gospel, kind of put some things together that I never, ever realized. And so I would encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity, or if we take a trip, I'd love for you to go. I'd love to get to know you better and to share that experience with you. Now, today our passage is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is Palm Sunday, and for some of you, you've heard the Palm Sunday sermon all your life. And for others of you, this may be your first time to ever hear this. And so I'm preaching to a diverse crowd. But, but I was with someone this last week who had heard it many times before and had, ha, has walked through the Lord almost all their life. But they needed the encouragement of being told, you know, you don't have to carry that guilt. You are forgiven. This next week is all about God's grace and his blood covering our sin and our shame. And he was living in sin and shame and feeling the guilt. And people were reinforcing that in his life. And he needed to hear again God's grace and forgiveness. So when we periodically go through holy, holy days or holidays like Easter, Palm Sunday, Christmas... It's an opportunity to rehear that at a deeper level. And people need to hear this message over and over and over again until it becomes their own and it flows out of their life. And the grace of God and the Spirit of God flows out of their lives into other lives and to that next generation. And so hear this, even though you've heard it before, please rehear it again in a deeper way. Matthew writes this. He says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and it came to Bethphage, to, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks or says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of the beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Now, here's Jesus at the beginning of Holy Week, what is, was to be the last week of his life. And he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey with a colt down a mountain path, surrounded by people. But he comes gently and humbly. And that's how our king comes into our lives. He doesn't have to overpower us. He doesn't have to yell or scream. No, he comes gently and humbly. Isn't that amazing? If you remember back with Elijah and he was listening for the voice of God and it comes in that still, small voice and whisper... Isn't that normally how God comes and directs us? 
Then Matthew goes on and writes, he says, They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, even though Jesus came meekly, humbly, quietly, the crowd resounded with shouts of joy. They were expecting a political triumph. And, and a lot of us are praying for a political triumph today that I don't think we'll ever see. Because I think the triumph is spiritual in nature. Human institutions will never save us. Not like Jesus. But this king came in triumph. Jesus comes in triumph, meek, lowly, gently. But the crowd responds. And, and if you look in other, well, parallels in the Gospels, and I can't remember which Gospel it was, but, but I think it was John who, who the Pharisees and Sadducees said to Jesus, hey, you need to shut these people up. Because they're saying that you are the Messiah. And you know what Jesus says? Even if they wouldn't cry it out, the rocks would have cried out that this is who he was. Now, this king came triumphantly, looking at the city of Jerusalem, coming down into the valley and then going back up. And, And this king's path was paved with palms and with, with cloaks. And, and palms are basically like an Israeli flag flying at the time. There was a political content and message to his arrival that they expected that Jesus wasn't going to fulfill. Not in that time, not in that day, nor will he now. But spiritually, Everything was in place. The palms were being laid. The cloaks were being, being placed in front of the donkey. And he was coming and he was receiving acclamations for being the Messiah for who he was. But little did they know, less than a week later, he was going to be crucified for their sins. And die an excruciating death for our sin forever. Now, this path, I have a picture of it. This is where I was. And in fact, it was a cold, rainy day, much like we've had this whole last week. It was miserable. In fact, the path was slick. And so, and and in fact, after we walked down the path and we got on our tour bus, I said, well, when are we going to see the Palm Sunday path? And our guide said, well, Chris, you just were on it. And so this isn't even my picture. And in fact, there was no leopard print lady in Jesus' 
Palm Sunday event, but this kind of gives you kind of a narrow perspective of what that path might have been like. We were coming from probably the Mount of Olives actually sits higher in elevation than what Jerusalem does, and so you can get a really good view of the city of Jerusalem from there. And and you could at that time where Jesus when Jesus was living on earth 2,000 years ago, you could probably see the temple from where he descended on that Palm Sunday path. It's really, really steep, about 3,000 feet of, of elevation. Then you drop down into the Kidron Valley, and then you go back up to about 26 or 2,700 feet. Now, Jesus entered in peace Jerusalem, which Jerusalem means the city of peace, and and his triumph wasn't like we know, wasn't going to be political. He wasn't going to take the kingship from Herod. But spiritually, he was going to triumph over Satan in that moment at Golgotha and at that cave, the resurrection. Now, if you look, what, what's interesting and fascinating to me was that the Jews and the Muslims both believe that here this double gate that you see right here kind of goes, the path kind of goes up and into this. And this, this gate is called the golden gate. It's called the gate of mercy. And both Jews and Muslims believe that the Messiah would go through that gate. How cool is that? And Jesus was fulfilling prophecy on that day. Because our king, the king, keeps his promises. He fulfills all the promises. Notice in verses 4 through 7 of this passage, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, this path was about two miles from Bethany or Bethphage all the way down Olivet, the Mount of Olivet, across the Kidron Valley, and back up into Jerusalem. So, it was a, a long walk. And, and in that moment, he was fulfilling scripture that had been prophesied 500 years before. Now, I don't know if the people recognized it or not in that moment. But we need to recognize that God is still fulfilling his promises in every one of your lives. That God is working, his spirit is working, he is answering your prayers, and he's fulfilling the promises that, that you need to be fulfilled in your life. He's speaking to you through his spirit. The question is, do you believe that God fulfills all his promises? And I'm not saying he answers all your prayers the way you expect them to be, be answered. No, I don't think that happens because God has a, a higher purpose and, and a plan. And so your prayers are being answered in his way for his purpose, for your life, to draw you nearer to him. That is what God is doing. And so he always has a plan, he always has a purpose, and you're in the midst of it right now. You may be suffering, you may be exalting. Wherever you are, God is working in you, for you. And he wants to draw other people through you to him, through his spirit working in you. 
Now, in looking at what Christ did, riding meek and lowly, triumphant, but also on that Palm Sunday path, delivering peace, got to realize something, that the next time he comes, fulfilling all his promises, he won't come the same way. He won't be coming meek and lowly because our king will return. As I have preached this Palm Sunday message for several years, I just really haven't thought of it this way, but there's a parallel in Scripture, and I really haven't delved that deep into prophecy. And so when we look at the passage that is quoted in Zechariah that I just have read in Zechariah 9.9, please look in your Bibles because Zechariah is not a book that we often refer to. I've never preached from, and I've read probably 35 times in my life, but I've never heard this before. But in Zechariah, the following verses in, in chapter 9, 10 through 13, Zechariah writes, and this is 500 years before, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of the covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Now, this was written 500 years before, so here we are 2,500 years later, and this prophecy has not been fulfilled. This promise hasn't been kept yet. And so, as Zechariah shares this and writes this to the Jews, we as Christians should hear this because we know that the blood covenant, the blood was shed on the cross, his mercy, his grace, saves us now, but he does not rule from sea to sea, as Zechariah describes. So he's talking about a coming kingdom, and and what will that be? It'll be Jesus' second coming. And if you move on in Zechariah Chapter 12, verse 10, he, 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 Zechariah writes, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, hear this, on whom they have pierced. Now, who are they talking about? Who's the prophet talking about? He's talking about Jesus who died on a cross 500 years beforehand. And the grace and mercy is still being called out for. I watched thousands of Hasidic Jews at the Wailing Wall. Ladies on one side, men on the other side. And they were rocking and they were praying for the temple to be restored. And it it saddened me. In fact, it it just kind of hurt to watch all of that. 
and, and, and God has already answered their prayers. The temple resides in us. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a location. But someday that temple will be restored. And we know that at that point, Jesus is coming quickly. But that's what they're praying for, but they're missing the whole point. Jesus died that we would no longer be under law. That we wouldn't have to serve a cruel master, but instead receive grace. Then Zechariah says this in chapter 13, verse 1 of Zechariah. says, On that day there will, shall be a fountain open for the house of David. What kind of fountain is that going to be? It's going to be a, a fountain of blood, of grace, of, of sacrifice that Jesus gave already. To cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That's the only way we get clean. It's not by an animal sacrifice. No, one and only at the altar of the cross is where Jesus gave his life and he was resurrected from the dead. That Palm Sunday message, that Easter message is still important to hear today. And then in chapter 14 of Zechariah, it says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and women raped. Half of the city shall go out into, go out into Azel, and, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake. You're mixing up the slides for me right now. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half the city shall go out into exile. But the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the Mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, that's never, never occurred, but it's going to happen. Now, the valley of Kidron goes north and south, but it's going to be divided up. It's going to be split. When we see that, folks, that's the end. It's described in the book of Revelation like this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war this king is going to come and again it's not going to be a political salvation it's going to be once and done forever he's going to judge the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like the flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and and the name by which he is called is the word of god and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses those are the holy ones 
that Zechariah was describing. His army, the host of heaven. From his mouth comes a sharp sword on which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The question is, are you ready for the king's return? Because the king is coming. And he's not going to come on a donkey this time. He's going to come victorious to take his, home, take his own home with him. So how do you respond to Palm Sunday? First of all, like they did on that very first Palm Sunday with a heart of worship Hosanna in the highest because he's saved us second with courage to overcome our fears to be encouraged that he is a God that keeps his promises Jesus said it this way in the book of John 12 verse 15 he says fear not daughter of Zion behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's cup We have nothing to fear. If we are in Christ, if we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, saved by grace through faith, we have nothing to fear. Those final days are going to be glorious because we will be praising God and saying, the King is coming. And finally, how do we respond to the Palm Sunday? It's with our hearts burning with the gospel. God's grace is sufficient for every person we come in contact with. Our hearts through the Spirit of God should flow with grace. That the gospel is real. He saved us. He can save you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are. He loves you that much. And so in every relationship, every human contact, we need to spill forth God's grace. So this Holy Week... It's important that as you rub shoulders, as you talk to people, don't forget to give a good word for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that's coming. They need to know that Jesus is real and he saves you, but he will save them. Now, we don't need to overpower them. We just need to come meekly and humbly with grace. Not always does it take words, but other times it does. And we need to speak up for the Lord. You know, he saved us by grace. I had a situation this last week. I was in class and had a guy, and he's pretty salty. And he didn't know what I did. He knows that you know, I do some contracting. I own some rentals. And he's, he's been kind to me, but he's, he's a little rough around the edges. I kind of like him a lot. I really, really do. He's my kind of guy. And so I was talking about some, some things and I said, well, we got, you know, I had, we had to do some things for our staff because of the economy. We had to bump up some salaries because we weren't paying them well enough. And we were talking about uh, salaries in that industry. And he said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a full-time pastor. Well, he, he had a blank. I mean, he just went, his mouth dropped, all right? And he said, well, I'm going to be a bad influence on you. You know what I thought? No, I'm going to be a bad influence on you. Because this is an opportunity to share the gospel. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just realize that that message is still true. Even though you've heard it over and over again, 
that someone around you needs to know Jesus before he comes again. And they need to be ready as well as you do. Will you please stand and pray with me? Eternal God, Father, we are so grateful for the gospel of grace that you give. We're so grateful that you are a God that keeps promises, that you are faithful and true and just and merciful. Father, just now, we throw ourselves before you as those folks that celebrated Jesus on that Palm Sunday so long ago threw palms down before him and declared him Son of David, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we look forward to that day when he will come faithful and true, triumphant to bring us home. Father, we just glorify you in that. And we just give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name.